Welcome to MuggleCaster Weekly Ride into the Wizarding World Fandom, episode 501. So another 500 episodes begin. I'm Andrew. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And on this week's episode, we're going to take a look at your suggestions for the opening scene of Fantastic Beasts 3. We're also going to dip into our mailbag, including answering an email from way back in 2007 per our idea Last week, two weeks ago, I think we said that on air. We're going to start finding really old emails and finally respond to them on the show. And I then we're going to... Go ahead. Oh, no. I think it was last week on our 500th episode when you said we had something along oh, the lines yeah. of 43,000 emails. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Whatever it's, it was. Yeah. What happens to me is we record. We're in the moment. We're having fun. And then as soon as we stop recording, I just forget everything that happened. <laughs> 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 and then I re-experience the show when I edit it. But first, we do have a news item. The Wizarding World franchise has announced a new Harry Potter exhibition will be traveling the globe. No dates yet, but it is going to open up next year, 2022. Uh, No cities yet either, but they say it's going to include props and wardrobes, costumes from Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts. I would assume maybe Cursed Child as well. I thought it was interesting. There was absolutely zero mention of J.K. Rowling in this press release. Mm. You know, normally it's like, jk rowling's wizarding world you know the books were by jk rowling but no not a single mention um but this is cool news i know eric you went to the harry potter exhibition when it was in chicago many years ago the the world premiere on the end of april 2009 wow since then it like the original exhibition this seems to be like i don't even know if it's done by the same people i'm looking into that but uh, but yeah, since since its uh, inauguration in Chicago, it really did travel like the entire world. And the Phelps twins had like a full time job doing the grand <laughs> opening of each <laughs> exhibition location. So they're probably happy about that. Exactly, this. exactly. But yeah, it went all around the world. So I'm interested in seeing how uh, different this is going to be. What I really like about this is that it makes Harry Potter more accessible to people who can't travel to Orlando or Los Angeles or the right. studio tour in England. Like this brings Harry Potter to you. I also went to the exhibition when it was here in New York. I can't remember how many years ago it was at this point, but I thought fairly recently the exhibition was still touring because I remember, and again, this could just be because time just exists the way it does currently and everything feels like either it happened yesterday or it happened 10 years ago. But I thought I did hear the Phelps twins talking about going and opening it at some place in Europe, but I, I so could this be might wrong. just be a reboot. The most recent uh, location for it listed on the Harry Potter fandom wiki was Madrid, uh, Spain in uh, 2017 to 2018. So oh, Okay, so that wasn't too long ago. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 2020 didn't happen, basically. So it was really only about a year ago. <laughs> Maybe COVID messed with it, too. Maybe they were planning to go other places, but right. COVID got in the way. And, and maybe COVID gave them a chance to do a reboot, to your point, Andrew. Maybe this is just a, right. a refresh, because how much different can it really be plus Fantastic Beasts and Cursed Child versus what it's been over the course of the last couple of years? I will say, I bring this up every time we talk about the exhibition. They need to, if they don't, they, I don't know if this has changed, but when I went through it, they did not let you take photos, which for yeah. the life of me, I do not understand. Like yeah, people are paying lame. money to go through this experience. It would be like letting them go to the studio tour 
and not take photos. It, right. It makes no sense. No, I completely agree. I hope they change it. Why don't you reach out to them? Say, hey, are you gonna are you gonna let us snap some pics? It seems like such a silly rule in the year 2021 when everybody walks in there with a cell phone and is expecting to take pictures. I'm sure that changed. I do see they mentioned the first two of the five-part Fantastic Beasts film series. So they still are leaning into the fact that Fantastic Beasts is going to be five movies. Just oh, good catch there. Yeah, they they uh, the cool thing about the exhibition when it first opened up was I think the movies, uh, like the last two movies were still... Uh, not wrapped. And so the idea was that more uh, in different props, well, props would like rotate. So if you went to more than one location, uh, you would get like a, a slightly different experience because they would have different things on loan. So that's what's happening with the exhibition. More to come there. This is a mailbag episode of MuggleCast. Each time we do one of these mailbag episodes, we like to introduce a new question for our listeners to answer. And Micah, you came up with this week's question. It is what? Is your ideal opening scene for Fantastic Beast 3? Thanks. I was looking for something, Eric. Thank you. I mean, that's the Quizage theme. Yeah, he's asking a question. Oh, you know, right. Yeah, I mean, we've gotten a lot of news recently, it seems, around Fantastic Beast 3 filming. Initially, it was said that filming had wrapped, but then we learned that it had paused due to COVID. So, I think it's probably fair to say within the next couple of weeks to a month, it, it probably will officially wrap. So why not start thinking about how is this film going to open, just given how we felt about the last film overall? Yeah. So I decided to watch the end of Crimes of Grindelwald to prepare for this question. And I just think it needs to be a direct continuation of the Crimes of Grindelwald, how how that movie ends. So you might remember that. Newt and Dumbledore met on a bridge leading into Hogwarts, and they decide to walk towards the castle with the Niffler, by the way. So I think the movie should open with the Niffler rummaging through all of Dumbledore's shiny crap. (laughs) And then we're going to pan over to Dumbledore and Newt, and they're going to talk about destroying the Blood Pact, because that's the the big question right now. Can he destroy it? Remember... Dumbledore said, maybe, maybe I can. You're going to have to wait a few years to find out, but maybe. (laughs) And uh, but then there's going to be this question about, well, why did the pact come into existence? And then hopefully we're going to get those flashbacks to the rise and fall of the Dumbledore Grindelwald friendship slash relationship. And then I was also thinking, though, we have a new Grindelwald. The panel here has speculated previously that maybe we'll see him transform into a new Grindelwald since he has transformed at least once before. But then I was also thinking about how at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald, Queenie says to Grindelwald that Credence is unsure of you. So I'm wondering if maybe they can use Credence's hesitancy as a way for Grindelwald to decide that he's going to transform again. (laughs) <laughs> to be like a softer looking person <laughs> for Credence. <laughs> it might be a stretch, but. I like the idea of picking up right at where the second one left off because then you get answers immediately as to what, like that seems like it'd be a good conversation Yeah, um, that Newt and Dumbledore would have. I'm most interested in figuring out if Jacob sees Hogwarts because mm-hmm. um, he's right on the bridge as well, looking right at it. He so. does look a little dumbfounded though. So I'm hoping he can't. Andrew, you made me think of something when you said looking at how the last movie ended and just doing a continuation of that. I thought about how 
both of the first two films have opened with Grindelwald in some capacity, right? Mm. In the first movie, it's it's the tease of of sort of Grindelwald and um, Graves. Graves, yeah, Graves, right? It's that basically scene of of Grindelwald attacking a bunch of Aurors. It looks like, mm-hmm. and then in movie two, it's escape um, from prison. Uh, in America. So I wonder if the third movie is going to open up with Grindelwald in some capacity, especially given that uh, he is being played by somebody completely different now. I think it would be cool if it opened with a blood-packed flashback. Oh, yeah. I don't know what that all entails, but maybe just a couple of minutes around how the blood pact was created, and then you flash forward through the title scene to present day with Newt Mm -hmm. and Dumbledore sitting around the table in Hogwarts with the Niffler uh, having some tea and and talking <laughs> about the the blood pact. I like that. Sort of like a once upon a time, two men were in love, and they swore never to hurt each other. Kind of a, like a, I could see it being narrated by somebody like <laughs> Newt. Kind of similar to I think some of the thoughts y'all have shared. I like the idea of there being some sort of flashback. Um, what I'm interested though is a flashback sequence that takes place throughout the film that shows the Dumbledore-Grindelwald conflict that ultimately led to Ariana Dumbledore's death. Um, So I'm thinking like the initial flashback scene can happen right at the jump with the start of the movie. And it can be Dumbledore's first meeting with Grindelwald in Godric's Hollow. Um, And then it can kind of show Dumbledore waking up from a dream or coming out of a deep thought. And it would pick up then with him telling Newt, quote unquote, everything (laughs) there is to know about the blood pact, because I don't trust Dumbledore anymore after everything we saw him do to Harry. So I'm sure that he's not going to tell Newt the whole truth about the blood pact. (laughs) There's going to be some like, oh, yeah, it's just this. This is what we have to do. And then at the end of the third movie, he's going to be like, psych, there's this like whole other adventure we have to take to kill this. Um, So I think that that could be the sort of like, catalyst for the film um and then they could pepper these flashback scenes showing dumbledore's and grindelwald's continued involvement when they were young men and then ultimately at the end of the film and i know we weren't talking about the end of the film but this is just where my head went with it the film could end with dumbledore coming face to face with credence but have it sort of interspersed with those memories which ultimately show Ariana being killed. So it's like he's having one memory of one sibling dying, another memory of his like, or another like meeting his long lost sibling allegedly in person. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> also kicks the can down the road for explaining credence, but at least we know that yeah. like it promises more answers in the fourth installment. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize until this discussion that I have lost faith in david yates's flashback use like if you think about it ever since movie five and the snape's worst memory marauders subplot was reduced to a couple of non-verbal i don't know brief shots when apparently they filmed for like a week or two i just feel like not enough time has been given to flashbacks in all of his films um and even if you think about the flashbacks that we got in crimes of grindelwald I still feel they were lacking. Like they just weren't, they weren't of substance. They, they told, they kind of half told a half story. 
Um, so if they do rely on flashbacks, I'm urging David Yates, I'm going to put you on blast, sir. Lots of love and respect. Peace but and please love. Peace and love. Give, give your, your <laughs> flashbacks the time to breathe that they need. Thank you on behalf of all Harry Potter fans signed. I, I don't want to okay. get into this, but I think the point of flashbacks is so they don't have to spend a lot of time on things. So, you know, mm. they make them quick to to get it over with and advance the plot faster. Yeah, but it's, it's at yeah. a certain point, it becomes like a family guy joke. Like, oh, that time we did this. And then it shows them doing literally that, nothing more, and then flips back to present. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's like, possible oh, okay. for flashback scenes to be brief and substantive. Mm. I think maybe some of the challenges you're alluding to, Eric, is that his flashbacks haven't always been super substantive. Yes. Yes, I do believe I was alluding to that. Yeah, I think that's the issue at play. Right. And and in particular, Laura, the flashback that you mentioned, I think is something that people have been waiting for for a long time. They want to yeah. know what happened. And, and I'm all on board because you know what that means if we get this flashback, Aberforth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and maybe the goats in their back, like cowering under rubble that's uh, being created or something. What's your idea for the opening? All right, all right. So under the weight of all this crap that we've got to address, the blood pact, Ariana, what's going to happen with Jacob, all this other crap, I tend to forget that the third film is going to take us to this all new location of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And so I want- Allegedly, right. Who knows if they they changed it? You could set the film completely at Hogwarts and it would still be satisfying at answering our questions. You're right. But uh, since they've announced and and actually remember J.K. Rowling's tweet years ago where it was like the five locations, she said it in different languages. Rio Mm -hmm. was supposed to be a main centerpiece of this film originally. So I want to see the film open on a huge action sequence set in Rio uh, is a beast attacking? Is it a beast escaping or, or Grindelwald escaping? He's doing something in Rio. Um, maybe Jacob and Tina are already in Rio undercover. Uh, and they're going to like, we see them either like I'm thinking like National Treasure where it's like they, they get in place and Riley's got like the walkie talkie and he's communicating. And maybe Newt and Theseus are like getting closer and closer to uncovering whatever um, thing they're in Rio searching for, but all goes wrong. I just want to be wowed with color yeah. um, and like jungle and like, you know, just really uh huge action set piece to open the film. And, you know, that's the other thing I've lost faith in David Yates in is doing color right in a film. So I really hope, yeah. I really hope that movie three redeems uh, David Yates for flashback, substantiveness and you can't do rio de janeiro without adding some really cool color yeah very vibrant i mean is this just going to be a whole um discussion about what we've lost faith in david yates for because (laughs) i guess i didn't (laughs) realize i had so many leave the teddy bear alone oh i mean i was really disappointed in nicholas flamel while we're at it i mean if you know about the character of nicholas flamel He's not supposed to look like he's this, you know, old, <laughs> decrepit crypt keeper. The whole point of him using the elixir of life is that he stays young. Yeah. When I was so rewatching, was I was job. like, he's not, he hasn't, this appearance hasn't aged well. This does not look right to me. 
What do you guys think of the um, his ending move of like friendship and sticking our wands in the ground will save us? <laughs> well, it works. <laughs> uh, should it have though? Yates on blast. <laughs> Respect your elders, Laura. That's all I have to say. Is David Yates my elder? <laughs> no, Nicholas Flamel is. Mm. We have some ideas from listeners as well. But first, time for a word from our sponsor this week, Quip. And I want to talk about one of their newer products, chewing gum. You may not know that gum is the unsung hero when it comes to better oral health. The American Dental Association recommends chewing sugar-free gum for 20 minutes after meals. And that's where Quip comes in. It was only a few short years ago that Quip reinvented the toothbrush for the modern age. They've done it again, but this time for chewing gum. They launched a new gum that's actually good for your oral health and comes with a dispenser that'll remind you of the one-click candy you loved as a kid. Quip gum can help prevent cavities and freshen breath when chewed for 20 minutes after eating. It's sugar-free and has tooth-friendly xyatol with zero calories. And to satisfy your taste buds, Quip added a long-lasting mint flavor and crunchy tri-layer design. It is so good. Plus, it comes with a slim travel-ready dispenser that packs and protects up to 10 pieces of gum at a time, and it fits in just about any purse or pocket for on the go. And in a world where we all need to be extra safe and hygienic, the quick release button means you can still share with friends. No wrappers, hands, or hassles, and that means no germs either. Plus, you can add a gum refill plan for a gift that keeps on giving all year round. Now, it's not a substitute for brushing and flossing, but this is great support for your oral health. Pair it with a Quip electric toothbrush for adults and kids, refillable floss, and more great products. And if you go to getquip.com muggle right now, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com slash muggle. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash muggle. Quip is the good habits company. Now let's read some responses from our listeners. This one's from Hannah. I just want to know the deal with Credence. So the end scene from Fantastic Beast 2 with the Phoenix can be the open. And then Grindelwald just opens by saying something like, smile, you're on candid camera, and proceeds to laugh and high five his cronies because he is a master prankster. And the whole thing is a lie. Oh, my God. <laughs> This could be the redemption arc this series needs. Turn it into like a hyper self-aware comedy. Mm. Yeah. This would be a great SNL skit, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Justin says, given the bleak ending of Crimes of Grindelwald, I'd love to see the film open with Newt chasing an exotic beast through Rio before capturing it outside the city. Yeah, this one's for you, Eric. Ideally, the chase would already be underway, so the film opens with a fast-paced bold colors, awesome visuals, and scenic shots of the area. That would provide a nice contrast from where we left off. Let me just say I did not read Justin's <laughs> disclaimer. I didn't read Justin's uh, entry before giving my ideal opener, but it's thrilling to see I'm on the same page with him. Maybe Justin read what you put in the doc and copied <sighs> you. Oh. No. No, no, no. But uh, he's right. Exactly. We need bold colors. And also the best storytelling is the one that uh, opens up in the middle of the story. So you can you can go in the past, you can go in the future. But right now you're in the middle of the action from Holden. We open in Newt's basement slash case with Nifflers and other beasts doing their thing. Then we pan over to Newt, Jacob, Tina and maybe Albus sitting around with plans pasted on the wall. They detail destroying blood-packed plans and a large sign with red string pointing at it uh, entitled, Credence is not a Dumbledore. (laughs) 
Okay. So this is like nice. that uh, always sunny in Philadelphia meme. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, thinking yeah, of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. This next one is from Nick. Nick says they should take a note from Star Wars Episode Nine and start the movie with Newt saying, "Somehow Salazar Slytherin has returned." <laughs> <laughs> that's well done, Nick. I love the idea that this series could yet introduce a big bad. Like a bigger bad. Like, no, oh, you thought you thought Grindelwald was the evil guy. No, it's Salazar Slytherin himself. No. And then Dumbledore and Grindelwald have to team up. Enough characters. We don't need any more. They need to remove some, not add some. Uh, Deborah says, I like the idea of starting with young Dumbledore and Grindelwald talking about the greater good. Cue summer love in a la Grease. That song gets all echoey and ethereal. And we cut to present day. The gang is hiding out near Hogwarts, doing research on destroying the Blood Pact, and they find out they need to seek out a fantastic beast or person, ideally a beast, because come on, in Brazil for help. Side note, they make Dumbledore an unregistered anime guy who turns into a phoenix and is actually catfishing Grindelwald and Credence. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Dumbledore Our listeners would. are creative. Yeah. Feriol says, I think a quick montage of the moment Ariana died. Here you go, Laura. Uh, the confusion of spells and seeing Grindelwald run as young Albus stares after him. No narration or anything, just a moment of immense trauma quickly shown to lend weight to their troubled bond in the present. And it can pan out to grown up Dumbledore standing in front of the mirror of Erised without the audience seeing what he sees. Ooh. I like where this is going, not just because it's similar to mine, but I like the inclusion of the Mirror of Arisad here. Yeah. I think that that would be a good sort of like vessel for this flashback scene to happen, you know? Yeah. That was one of the most effective shots of Crimes of Grindelwald was Dumbledore staring in the mirror and seeing Grindelwald staring back at him. And uh, finally, Amanda says, maybe a scene with Queenie in Nurmengard. We see her wandering and then a dungeon. She rounds the corner and there's Lita being held captive. They then work together and we figure out Queenie is undercover. Hashtag Lita lives in my mind rent free. Yeah. Uh, who's that? Zoe Kravitz. She yeah. kind of yeah. hinted that she might be back, I think. Didn't she say like in the script it said she died and then they revised it and she didn't. She just kind of like disappeared into into the blue flames yeah, it was something like that you know? yeah yeah they kind of left it open-ended mm -hmm. in a way this magical world anything can happen that scene has definitely been highly analyzed and i think to your point if we went back and looked in the script book because i think we all got it didn't we when the movie came out and we of course through aren't it. we fans <laughs> and uh it's probably worth another check. I know we're going to get into probably a lot of these theories as we get closer to the release of the film. There's there's plenty to talk about. Can't forget about our guy. I, nobody's mentioned use of comma yet. Highly disappointed. <laughs> well, you know, it turns out we got three entries from Twitter. So maybe Yusuf will show up yet. Spoiler alert. Nope. Uh, T-Zach said, <laughs> cold open flashback to, to Ariana's death. Newt raises his head from the pensive in Dumbledore's DADA office. It's right after the end of Crimes of Grindelwald. We get some moody exposition, cut to title card, then a time jump. Yeah. Okay. There does need to be some kind of time jump in this movie. You know, Eric raised yeah. a really good point that at some point we're going to have to jump forward like a decade and a half. Right. To get <laughs> where we need to go. Right. Yeah. Time Traveling Unicorn says, scene opens. Everyone except Jacob have been turned into Nifflers. <gasps> Jacob, 
Jacob must spend the remaining three movies saving everyone from this curse. <laughs> Plot twist. He decides not to. Fantastic Beast is over. Everyone lives cuddly after ever after. <laughs> wow. That I did not read that before. And that really shook me. I like it, though. We did ask for people to submit goofy answers as well. I think time traveling unicorn took that path. And uh, finally, Stephanie says, Newt and Tina break into Grindelwald headquarters to kidnap Queenie, but it's too easy and they walk into a trap. Cut to Jacob eating pastries alone around town. He has a device that says his friends are in danger and he must rescue them, but his fingers are covered in jelly from the donuts. (laughs) Oh, man, that's a mood. I'd like to help, but my fingers are covered in jelly from a donut. Also, I'm not a wizard, so... Sorry. (laughs) Okay, so like I said, this episode is Muggle Mail focused, and we have a bunch of voicemails today. We'll start with one about John Williams. Hey, MuggleCast. This is Phoebe. Um, I had a question about John Williams scoring or being the quintessential score for Harry Potter. Bear in mind, I was like 10 when the first movie came out, so like I have no concept of how big the books were at that time. But how did they get John Williams from the start? Like, how does that work? I don't know how any of that works with film course, but I was just thinking head with fame, as one does, and was like, wow, John Williams from the beginning. That's incredible. Anyways, thanks. Love the show. Bye. I tried to look into this. I tried to find some old articles announcing, you know, in which it was announced that John Williams was going to score the first movie, and I couldn't find anything. While doing research for this, I also saw that John Williams was invited back for the final Harry Potter movie. Uh, David Yates, director David Yates, said this, and um, uh, unfortunately, their schedules just did not align, so that was a bummer. I mean, given everything we've said about David Yates to this point, maybe John Williams is uh, on our team. What do you mean? Well, we were just roasting David Yates earlier, so maybe... Oh, he, uh, he yeah. hates David Yates, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, he just hates <laughs> the flashback sequences. <laughs> I'm not no. scoring those flashbacks. Snake's worst memory is such an important scene, and the, not a word is said during the movie version. Now, Eric, you might know more here, but I think John Williams and Chris Columbus have a fairly good relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I- they work together on Home Alone 1 and 2. And you tend to see composers stick with directors. That's actually, I think, where we got Alessandro De- Desplat, um, was because he had worked with David Yates before. But uh, actually, John Williams um, scores nearly every Spielberg film, too. Uh, in fact, it was a big deal when Spielberg had... Uh, what was the one movie that came out like without John Williams score It was huge deal um, because of scheduling that he couldn't do it. But yeah, my guess is it would be they wanted somebody big. They needed somebody because they wanted this series to be successful, global, you know, box office that they probably didn't put a price tag on it. And they said, you know, Chris, can you reach out to your buddy, John? Um, It's just pretty interesting when you think about, you know, Chris Columbus's other major works, Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2, both had scores by John Williams. And then when you think about Home Alone was like this reasonably low budget film, but somehow managed to get John Williams for it. You're just like, how does that work? But all right, well, I guess it would be due to that connection. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. All right, next voicemail is from Sandy. Hey, MuggleCast. Uh, My name is Sandy from New Jersey. 
Um, I have been reading Harry Potter for a long time, and I wanted to share with you how I am sharing the book with my three-year-old son, Avi. Um, I started off by telling him little vignettes from the story. He is always interested in the things that I'm interested in, and um, he saw the books on my shelf in my office and started asking questions. So I started just telling him little bits of the story. And as he showed more and more interest, I decided, why not read the books to him, despite the fact that he is only three years old. So now, every day during lunch, because we're all home together, we sit down and I read the Sorcerer's Stone to him. And because he's only three, we only get through about two, three, maybe four pages at a time because we have to stop in the middle so I can explain to him what's going on and make sure he's getting it and I act out certain parts. Um, but he is absolutely loving it. He now goes over to our Alexa and he'll say, Alexa, tell me Harry Potter. And Alexa will start reading it to him. Um, and I know that a lot of people feel like three years old is too young to be listening to these stories. But he absolutely loves it, and it's like a dream to be able to share it with my son. So I wanted to share that with you guys. Thanks for the podcast. Absolutely love it. Have a great day. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, yeah. like he's really young, but of course he's going to reread them when he's older, and then he's going to get a whole yeah. different perspective on them. Plus, what a what an incredible bonding experience yeah. to have with your parent, you know? Like, Oh, oh I thought you were going to say with Alexa. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I love that part of it. I love the fact that he goes yeah. around and just... Asked yeah. Alexa for Harry Potter. Kids are obsessed with those echoes. My nephews are too. Since when <laughs> like, can Amazon Alexa read Harry Potter? Uh, it can read audiobooks because Amazon owns Audible and, you know, there's that oh. whole tie in. Yeah. Right. By the way, if you have an echo, you can actually ask it to play our podcast too if you uh, are interested. Oh. So, Sandy, son, get, get on, on that. Yeah. Come on, Avi. Get on it, Avi. Next voicemail jumps into a fun little what if. Hi, MuggleCast. I was just listening to episode 492 and thinking about the chapter that you chose for Draco. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on what would have happened if everything still played out the way that it did on the tower, except Voldemort decided that he was still not happy with the fact that Snape had to do it. And he decided to kill Draco. How do you think everyone would have responded? Harry, Ron, and Hermione probably would have had this weird um, mix of sympathy, anger, and I'm not even sure how else they would have felt. In addition to how you think um, Lucius and Narcissa would have felt. You know, we see that they kind of have a change of, Narcissa has almost a, a change of heart or a bit ambivalent reaction to Voldemort and his agenda in book seven. And I would love to hear your thoughts as to how you think they would have reacted if something like this had happened um, during that scene or as a repercussion of of Draco not being able to do it. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, guys. Super interesting idea. Yeah, I think this would have it would have been really horrific because I think that Voldemort still would have taken up residence at Malfoy Manor. Like, I think he would have forced that on Lucius and Narcissa. And that would have been tragic yeah. to witness from their perspective. Because, of course, at that point, they wouldn't want to be anywhere near the guy. But I'm not sure that they would feel like they had much of a choice. 
Right. They're in too deep, you know? Yeah, but then maybe there could have been this whole plot depicting them somehow breaking free or attempting to break free of mm. being under Voldemort's control or just ultimately deciding, look, we have to take down Voldemort. He killed our son. We we have to do yeah. something about this. I could see that from Narcissa. Right. You don't think Lucius Not so would? so much Lucius. Really? No, he's a coward. No. <gasps> yeah, he really is. So I, I wonder, too, the dynamic it would have created between Narcissa and Bellatrix. That mm. would have been probably a pretty nasty falling out because yeah. we know how dedicated Bellatrix is to Voldemort. And if her nephew gets killed by him, obviously it's going to – I think it would turn Narcissa completely against him. So how would that dynamic play out? And I've thought about this, too. With the unbreakable vow, I guess Snape still fulfills his duty, but I would wonder if Draco dies, does that have any impact on him? That's a good question. I would need to refresh myself with the actual text behind the vow. Yeah. Was it just like you'll do it, everything in your power to protect Draco or something along those lines? If well, that's it, it if, then... Yeah, it was also about fulfilling the, the mission. Yeah, so I think Snape would be okay i like this twist just because it's so unexpected right you wouldn't think that this is what would have ended up happening and if it did i feel like it would have been a bigger shock than dumbledore because we all know dumbledore had to go at some point but draco that that would have been cool yeah (laughs) in a weird sort of way i guess but yeah it also just would have been so sad from a reader perspective like draco was really the innocent one here yeah. Yeah. And when I say cool, I mean a cool twist, not that it would have been cool to. <laughs> no, I kill think you're Draco. pretty messed up, Micah. I, I, <laughs> I'm going to take what you said at face value. If that happened, right. though, Cursed Child, would that exist? Well, it would be different. Yeah, we wouldn't have Scorpius. Oh, man. I love that kid. Oh, so sad. Th- okay. That's it. He can't, he can't die. <laughs> at least until uh, 11 years before Cursed Child starts. Now, yeah. Kill him all you want in Cursed Child, but not in Harry Potter. <laughs> you okay. couldn't have Drary or whatever that ship is called. I guess you could yeah. still. Have yeah, a they ship. can't meet at they can't meet at Starbucks. They can't go to America. And <laughs> Harry goes into a coffee and sees a barista's his old school friend. All right, here's our next voicemail. We have back to back adult Harry Potter fan stories. Hi, Mugglecasters. My name is Patty, and I was just listening back to your adult fan podcast this week, and I really related to it. I was an adult fan with no children at the time when all of the books were coming out. I am now uh, a parent myself, but uh, at the time, I was a music teacher for elementary school with over 700 kids, and at a midnight release party, I was feeling quite comfortable when I first got there because, yes, there were lots of parents with uh, their own children coming up to me saying, hi, Mrs. C, hi, Mrs. C. And I remember the only time it got awkward was when one of the parents asked me to point out which child drug me there that evening. And uh, I don't remember how I responded, but I do remember that question. Um, But of course, we all know uh, the stories are just so appropriate for uh, children of all ages, as they say. Uh, Keep doing such great work. Thank you for everything and happy 500th. Well said. Thank you, Patty. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And here's another one from Katie. Hello, Mugglecasters. Katie from Kansas City here. I wanted to add an anecdote to your topic from episode 499 about being an adult fan of the series. I proudly show my love of Harry Potter at work as professionally as possible. 
I work for a healthcare IT company and was in a role for many years that involved training our clients on maintaining their electronic medical record as well as the printed copy of a patient's chart. So anytime you went to your doctor's office or a hospital and they gave you a piece of paper with your results on it and discharge instructions, that piece of paper was basically my product. Well, as you can imagine, training can be drawn out and boring at times. When we covered the pieces of paper with a patient name on it, I would always use a patient example of Albus Percival Wolfric Bryan Dumbledore to emphasize the importance of leaving enough space for long names. I would either get a chuckle or an eye roll after doing so. Either way, my pupils were at least re-engaged in the learning and sometimes even formed a bit of a bonding experience between us. So it was really a win for all. Thanks for everything you guys do. Thank you, Katie. And now we have a voicemail from Kelsey about the series from Neville's perspective, getting back to our discussion a few weeks ago about companion stories. Hey, MuggleCast. It's Kelsey from St. Louis. I was just listening to episode 498 about your companion novel discussions um, and wanted to share that I've experienced this while reading Philippa Gregory's Tudor novels, uh, where you get a lot of different perspectives around the happenings of Henry VII, Henry VIII, and all of that in uh, Renaissance England. So I absolutely love the ideas. In the Harry Potter series, I would love to see the first book from Neville's perspective, how he's feeling heading into Hogwarts, getting more of his magical capabilities because he originally thought he could be a squib. Um, I know there's a seventh book fan fiction written by a, another very questionable author uh, that goes deeply into the seventh year from Neville's perspective, and I really enjoyed that. So I would love to see Philosopher's Stone from Neville's side as well. Love listening to the show and can't wait to see what else you guys have in store for us. Thanks. Bye. Before we respond to this, we also received an email from V with a similar point. Dear MuggleCast, an alternate character perspective I'd love to see would be Neville's story as it relates to book one. We could see his home life pre-Hogwarts, the reaction to getting his Hogwarts letter, and his struggles to fit in with classmates. How did it feel to be such a spectacle on the broom that first day of flying lessons? What does he think of Harry, Ron, and Hermione? Most importantly, how did he arrive with the strength of character to stand up to them when they were sneaking off to try to find the stone? What was it like to be petrified and left alone after challenging them? And how sweet was it to get the points that gave Gryffindor the house cup at the end of the year? So much to dig into there. I'd call it Neville Longbottom and the Midnight Stun. Ha ha ha. That's great. Love you all of the podcasts I've been listening for almost the whole time you've been making it. Looking forward to many more episodes to come. Thank you, V. Yeah, this would be great. I would love Neville Longbottom and the Midnight Stun. And then, like, a few chapters at the end that follow him in his key moments in the seventh Harry Potter book. Yeah. Yeah. I would also argue, too, that uh, Neville, at that point in the series, has more historical awareness about Voldemort and the Death Eaters and the Wizarding War. So it'd be really interesting to see that from his perspective and sort of see his impressions of Harry, because he knows what happened to Harry, but he also knows what happened to him, right? And what happened to him gets overshadowed by the fact that Voldemort ultimately chose Harry. Of course, Neville doesn't know about the prophecy at this point in time, but I would imagine that he would feel somewhat linked with Harry because they both went through these tragedies that resulted in the loss of their parents because of Voldemort and his followers, 
Um, but Neville's story just isn't very heavily like reported on Mm -hmm. until much later in the series. So he has to carry that. Right. And I, I just think it would be interesting to see what that looks like from his perspective. Agree. I I feel like book five would be a great Neville perspective, just given sort of the growing up. What do we say? He, he glowed up in, in towards the end of the Right, right, right. Yeah. It was books two through four. Neville would just kind of be searching for Trevor. Who's wandered off again. And Nathan writes to us uh, via email about reading Harry Potter for the first time as an adult. The Harry Potter books came out when I was in high school, and I completely missed the event of it all, oddly even working at a mall at the time with the Barnes & Noble. As the films came out when I was in college, I watched them but wasn't hooked. Years later, in 2016, my wife, who like me had seen the films but never read the books, and I decided to make a big life decision to move across the country to Seattle. As we settled into a new city where we knew no one, we decided to buy the book series and try it out. We would each read the first book, then watch the first movie together, and repeat. As we went through book one, we discovered we were pregnant with our first child. We kept up the process, and months later, we found ourselves at the hospital, ready to meet our daughter the very night we had finished the final movie just hours before. The process of reading them and finally discovering the vast and colorful world of Harry Potter through the books had us hooked. During the year that followed, we read The Cursed Child, the Hogwarts Collection, and saw the first Fantastic Beasts film. We have a much greater appreciation for the series, found new favorite characters, discovered friends and family that were also huge Harry Potter fans, and took our 10-year anniversary trip to Harry Potter World in Orlando. During 2020, we used the extra time at home to read aloud the Jim K. Illustrated Editions, plus discovering MuggleCast. Aww. Love the show and hope it continues for another 15 years. Nathan, that's amazing. Yeah, it that's really great. Is. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I like these stories uh, all these listeners are sharing about how they got into Potter. All right. And Courtney writes to us about parenting as a Harry Potter fan. Courtney says, growing up, I looked forward to my kids being able to enter the magical world of Hogwarts, and we have finally begun in our family. Although we have four kids, my oldest is only six, so we haven't read through the books yet. Instead, last year we celebrated both Back to Hogwarts Day and Harry's birthday. I read excerpts of Sorcerer's Stone and made a Hogwarts feast for them with candles. (laughs) We even pulled out the sorting hat for them to wear while I read the sorting hat song. My focus right now with kids so young is simply to impart the same magical feeling I had growing up of belonging somewhere. I cannot wait to read through the books with them someday soon, though. Thank you so much for the show. I've been listening since 2007. Awesome. Thanks, Courtney. And yeah, well put. I think when we experience anything that really brings us a lot of joy, happiness, comfort, we want to impart that on our kids, our family, our friends. Yeah. Well, one of the more popular episodes over the course of these last couple of weeks have been the alternate character perspectives. And and Hannah, who's 12, writes in about Hagrid and Ginny. She says, hi, this is Hannah from Sydney, Australia. I'm 12 and have been listening to your podcast for about a year now. I was just writing in about episode 498 about Hagrid's spinoff book. It would also be great to listen to the conversation Hagrid had with the vampire. I know in your Order of the Phoenix chapter by chapter, you were wondering what they would have talked about. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to see. 
I also think that seeing a spin-off book about Ginny Weasley would be great. We could see how she really felt about Harry in the earlier books. What would you guys call it? Love the show, Hannah. Well, what would we call it? Hinny. That's <laughs> Hinny. Ginny Weasley and the Hinny. Gary. No, I think she's looking for a book title, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> the first one could be uh, Ginny Weasley and the worst first year of school ever. <laughs> <laughs> And I agree, Hannah. I think it would be really cool to see a conversation between Hagrid and a vampire. Yeah. When uh, J.K. Rowling mentions vampires in the series, I think that's when Twilight was kind of coming up. So we were very curious about the Harry Potter take on vampires. And we never received that, really. So we'll just keep on wondering. Bethany writes in with another alternate Harry Potter character perspective. Hi, guys. On your most recent episode, you discussed companion stories you'd most like to read, and it was mentioned that Ron wasn't included. Ron spends so much time with Harry throughout the books that reading a book from his POV would hardly be different to the ones we already know. However, I would love to read a story that focuses on Ron in Deathly Hallows. I think it would be so interesting to see his point of view throughout the time when he splinched and wore the Horcrux. We could see how it was affecting him and how it managed to ultimately get him to leave the group. We could also see his time away from the group, from being caught by Snatchers to finding out new information about the current state of the Wizarding World and making his way back to Harry and Hermione with help from the Delaminiator. Also, I would like to see what happened in the Chamber of Secrets when he and Hermione destroyed the cup. Yeah, that's a good point about Ron. Um, He's always so close to Harry that we don't need another perspective there. Um, but yeah, maybe a little later in the series could have been good to get an alternate perspective. Yeah, those in particular were some really important growth points for Ron. So I, I would agree, at least a short story showing that point of view. This next one comes from Poe, who wonders about a different kind of alternate character telling. Poe says, I'm wondering your thoughts on how Snape would have reacted to Harry if he looked more like Lily than like James. And I don't ask this to imply Snape would have been a creep. I know they say in the books or imply that while Harry looks more like James, his personality was closer to Lily's. What if it was the other way around? What if Harry was a girl? Harriet Potter, for example, who looked like Lily, but had James's personality. Ooh, really tough. I mean, I think Snape would be more sympathetic to Harry if every time Snape glanced at Harry, he was just reminded of Lily. Uh, yeah, this but could be a whole other episode. Had... Yeah, I know, right? Like, but if we're talking James's personality, especially James's young personality, yeah, mm. I'm, I want to set that aside though because I feel like I don't know, just just looking at. Harriet would be enough to push him over the edge and be like, oh, I miss her so much. Yeah. I can't bear to face <laughs> I think he would be much less harsh. I'm just thinking about the dynamic of, of a male teacher treating a female student the way that Snape treats Harry for most of his time at Hogwarts. I just, especially in this day and age, I feel like there would be a lot that would be said about that. Yeah, but he's pretty horrible to other female students in the original canon, right? Like he's terrible to Hermione. Yeah. No, I'm not right. dismissing that. I'm just saying I feel yeah. like there's a lot to discuss there. Yeah. Especially if she if this character would look like Lily for Snape, especially as Harriet Potter would get older, it it creates a lot of 
sticky situations. I feel like he would be traumatized if he felt like he was looking out in his classroom and seeing the ghost of his childhood love. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he would just be maybe more chaotic Mm. than he is in the books because he'd be grappling with a pretty significant piece of emotional baggage. And then to have someone who looked like the carbon copy of the woman that he loved, who he was ultimately responsible for killing. (laughs) Um, That would be, that would add a whole other layer to Snape's trauma, I think. Yeah. Maybe he'd resign or need time off or something. I'm going to be off for seven years. Why seven years, Severus? (laughs) No, no reason. No reason. But I need you. I don't care. I don't care. I got to go. All right. Well, speaking of Snape, we have an email from Brittany. I just really need to bring up another aspect of the 24 hours between James and Lily being killed and Harry arriving at the Dursley's plot hole. This has always bothered me. To be honest, I have not read the final books in a while, so I'm thinking about the film. Snape! In the film Deathly Hallows 2, as Harry watches the memories from Snape's tears, we see Snape go to the Potter's house with baby Harry in his crib and Snape cradling a dead Lily on the floor of his room. Knowing this was Lily's only son and how important he was, why and how could Snape have just left a poor screaming toddler alone in his house with his dead mother and father? I would really love to hear you guys' thoughts about this as I have been thinking about this one particular moment for years. I'm listening to your Plot Holes episode, which I know is from October. Well, is this what happens in the book as well? No. And it's one of those things when it's self-contained, like if you consider the scene just on its own without taking into account any outside implications, it's a good scene uh, because it's Alan Rickman. I mean, he's just, he's amazing. But you start thinking about it for 30 seconds and Brittany's totally right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that Snape would just be there and then leave a baby in this rubble of a home (laughs) with dead parents. Well, I was thinking maybe he had to be left there so somebody else could discover him. Yeah. But it's like, doesn't Hagrid like say he pulls him out of the rubble? Yeah. (laughs) Out of the rubble of the crumpled house. Like there's like an I-beam over there. Damn you, David Yates. You strike again. Man. (laughs) I think for Snape, Snape, Probably, though, could have been implicated in some way if they found him there. I feel like he's one of Voldemort's most trusted advisors and Death Eaters. If he's on the scene, who's to say he doesn't go to Azkaban? Right. That would just be like one thought. I mean, obviously, he's very upset in this moment, but I, I think he's really there for Lily. He's not there for anybody else. He doesn't care about James. He doesn't care about oh. Harry. So, hundred percent. I mean, even if we're able to explain all of this away, though, that doesn't account for the full 24 hours. Right. 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 So we're still back at square one. The magic just protected Harry. Let's just go with that. Okay. Yeah. All right. This next one comes from Arthur in reference to Harry Potter pickup lines. Arthur says, congratulations and thanks for 500 episodes. I will check my medical insurance and see if it covers injuries incurred by using some of those pickup lines. (laughs) And I have always rooted for Harry and Luna, not least because their ship name would be Larry. Oh, (laughs) them fighting words. I don't know. Looking on the fan fiction sites, I'm seeing Huna everywhere. Huna is just way cooler. Sorry, Arthur. We can we can duke it out over yeah. this. You know what, Arthur? You do you, right? 
that's, <laughs> if that's what you, if Larry works for you, then perfect. Somebody took our pickup lines and tried texting them to their boo. And uh, that person, the, the boo never responded, at least at the time no. uh, the listener took the screenshot. So move on. I think, think they were, for, move on. <laughs> I think they were a little freaked <laughs> out by all these pickup lines all of a sudden. <laughs> we have one more sponsor this week, Me Undies. Me Undies believes undies aren't just what you put on under your clothes. They believe undies are the most important layer, the layer that should feel like a second skin, but better, allowing you to feel like you. That's why they make the world's softest undies in a variety of prints and patterns so you can express yourself to the absolute fullest. Building your collection of soft-as-heck undies has never been easier. They created a membership where you get a pair of your favorite undies delivered each month. You also get up to 30% off virtually everything they make and early access to the most exclusive prints. Me undies are designed to be the softest thing you've ever put on your body and offered in a range of sizes from extra small to 4XL. Seriously, the most comfortable undies you will ever wear. Cloud-like comfort. When you wear these, you will ask yourself, what took you so long to switch? And they still have Harry Potter prints, by the way, including special undies for each Hogwarts house. So don't miss out on this. And now that everyone's spending more time at home, they also offer the comfiest loungewear. Fill your closet with things you actually want to put on. Me Undies has a great offer for our listeners. For any first-time customers, you get 15% off and free shipping. Me Undies also promises that if you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, they'll refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get your 15% off your first order, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. Again, that's MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. Micah, we have a throwback question. Yeah, so this was really fun, actually. It, it was almost like going and using the Wayback Machine, but it was more like toiling through the thousands of, of emails we have in our MuggleCast inbox. And uh, we went all the way back to July 26th, 2007. This was literally just yeah. after Deathly Hallows, the book, was released. We got an email from Gabe who at the time was 17, he's now 30, <laughs> at least. Um, and uh, he writes in and he says, Hey, Mugglecasters, I finished book seven last Wednesday and I've got a couple things I've been thinking about. One, do you guys think Hermione saw something before she destroyed the cup Horcrux, similar to how Ron did when he destroyed the locket? That's a I don't know that we've ever answered that question on the show, by the way. It's a great question. And secondly, I was very surprised and pleased at how much creature developed in this book. But do you all think he still keeps to his old way of thinking and is only helpful to those who are nice to him, regardless of whether they're good or not? Also, during the final fight, creature says, fight for my master, defender of house elves. Fight the dark lord in the name of brave Regulus. Was he referring to Harry in the first sentence or to Regulus? Thanks for reading my questions, and I hope to hear your thoughts on this soon. Thanks well. for reading my questions 13 and a half years later. Uh, by the yeah. way, Gabe was uh, writing this while listening to the hot new song of 2007. This ain't a scene. It's a blank, blank arms race by Fallout Boy. I would think Hermione saw something, right? Before she destroyed the cup. Uh, I don't know. I Because the thing with the locket was it got to know Ron, right? because it, oh. it, 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 it was it was worn on him and it it kind of 
seeped into his heart and his thoughts and figured out how to manipulate him. The cup, I don't know that Hermione had to like carry the cup for a very long period of time at all. I think she put it in her bag and that was it. Um, so hard to say what it would be showing her if it could. I wonder if the Horcrux needs some time to get to know you, though. Maybe to be more effective. Um, regarding Creature, I do think he is talking about Harry, sort of the one bone that that Creature throws as far as, you know, my master is a good master. Um, but I think for the, the most for the most part, he's yeah, as all of us get stuck in sort of our ways and the thought patterns that we've adopted over years and years of our lives. They're hard to kind of stamp out, take some time and some effort. So I see this um, declaration as being the first of a, a long line of um, improvements from from Creature as a result of the revelations mm-hmm. of the seventh book. Agree. Yeah, I, I think he is referring to Harry. Um, and it was nice to to see Creature and Harry kind of come full circle. They obviously don't have the best of relationships early on, but Harry uh, starts to treat Creature with a little bit more respect. Mm-hmm. In terms of him changing, though, um, I'm sure he was probably set in some of his old ways. I mean, you know, some people don't change, especially old people. So, Well, and let's not forget, I, I'm sure that the Horcrux did a lot of damage to him, mm-hmm. as did, didn't he drink some of the, yep. yeah. the potion in the cave? I mean, yep. he really... Uh, had some he went through it yeah <laughs> that's putting it lightly all right well gabe we hope you're still a listener i kind of doubt it but maybe right in if you are you know honestly the craziest thing is we could just reply to that email can't or was this sent by oh, the feedback yeah. form oh <laughs> yeah because it was, by it the, was uh, the feedback form darn because if it was an email we can legit just reply to it and and you know i think people tend to keep email addresses so it'd be so insane. why didn't we collect people's email addresses i bet we do have it did we do, do we have his email micah i don't know let's we'll, we'll go back and look okay to wrap things up today we have a chicken soup this is from honey today when commuting to work all packed up against the cold nine degrees fahrenheit and the corona feeling exceptionally gloomy i was listening to the 500th episode when the pickup line segment was on i was snickering grinning smiling laughing so loud behind my mask scarf hood etc that my antics obviously entertained people near me in the tram the delivery of those lines was so good and hilarious thanks for cheering a bunch of people up on this cold and gray february morning you are so awesome keep it up greetings from north europe that's really nice honey thank you i love that okay so now it's time for quizage you guys i have an announcement apparently our quizage rules were a little bit restrictive to people <laughs> over no shit. In, the, in the past apparently I, this is the first i'm hearing of this but it was it was so much of an issue that i was reached out to by nadia who actually told me that even if you had a twitter depending on your privacy settings people were being excluded and c- couldn't like reply to us or participate even with a twitter so i said to myself we need some severe reformations here we need to fix Quizich. We were also applying a lot of heat on you. So <laughs> I, I think you felt like you had to do something. So what did you do? Okay. Well, I'm still trying to streamline Quizich, but 
this time you won't need a, a particular social media platform or not. It's on our website. You guys, just go to mugglecast.com slash quizich and there's an embedded Google form and you can submit this week's current answer. Wonderful. And I see you have a copy of one of our Quizage games there, too. That's actually a link to a playlist that I created of all of our Quizage lives. Whoa. Yeah, I've been busy. Wow. So Quizage, MuggleCast.com slash Quizage is your new Quizage Central. Uh, (laughs) You can submit submit your answer there to us. So actually, you know, peace and love, peace and love, (laughs) uh, people of Earth, peace and love. Do not submit. Do not play Quizich on Twitter. We will not read your replies past February thirteenth, twenty twenty one. Wait, what? Don't... You're not taking any on Twitter now? I'm telling you, we're gonna no, we right, gotta centralize right. it. We gotta okay. centralize it. Okay. All right, cool. And so, plus, yeah, you, it brings more people. You can't to our cause site. that kind of trauma, though, Eric. Like, yeah, you, you just have to got us all like used a... to... Yeah. Okay, after October twenty. No, that's too late. Okay, after March first. Yeah, March first. Yeah. Good. After Give March first, time to we're, transition. We're phasing out. Phasing out uh, Quizich on Twitter. All right. Okay. So last week's question. How far did Harry throw the gnome that bit him? Got a lot of answers here. All correct. It must have been 50 feet, says the twins. This is amazing. Correct answers were submitted to us by Lance, Sarah, Katie, Time Traveling Unicorn, Hello Wolf, Asia. Kyle, Tyson, Landon, Stephen, Bort, Nadia, Jeff, Robbie, Billy, and Sarah, a.k.a. Weensy. So next week's question. When Harry and Dumbledore apparate to the cave, what is the first spell we see Dumbledore use? Go to mugglecast.com slash quizich or mugglecast.com and click on quizich on the main nav bar. Speak to Jewel too. I'm sure you can uh, get a link in our bio. Yeah. If you have any feedback about today's episode, if you want to potentially be part of a future Muggle Mail episode, or if you want us to read your email on the show 13 years from now, you can visit MuggleCast.com and use the contact huh. form at the top. <laughs> or you can call us 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. You can also email us directly, or you can also submit a voice memo directly, MuggleCast at gmail.com. We'd also love your support on Patreon. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can pledge and get instant access to lots of benefits, including dirty pickup lines. A new bonus MuggleCast installment is here, and you can hear us recite the dirtiest Harry Potter pickup lines we could find. It's really only for adults, so we decided to put it on our Patreon. Check that out. We would also appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to MuggleCast. And also follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Last but not least, thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.